We are in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 11. As you can see, we're screeching, <laughs> we're streaking to the end. I was going to say we're going to come to a screeching halt, but we're streaking to the end. If you would stand, the time is at hand. Which kingdom will you live in? That is the question. Verse 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show us his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. All right, good job. If you would, please be seated. Now, as you know, the theme of Revelation, only going to be one more time after this. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And oh, Jesus is coming to make all things new, including us. <laughs> the older you get, it's more, yay. Yes, yes it is. Remember, Jesus is taking back what belongs to him. He's taking back rulership of earth. Satan, the usurper, temporarily stole the rulership of earth when sin came into the world. Remember, Jesus says of Satan that he is the ruler of this age in John chapter 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls him the God of this age. But make no mistake about this. This earth belongs to God. How do I know? Bible tells me so. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord in all of its fullness. Deuteronomy 10.14, Indeed, the heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord our God and also the earth. Psalm 50.12, For the world is mine in all of its fullness. Now, who owns the earth? God owns the earth, not Satan. He is a usurper. He is a defeated enemy. And his, his, his being sequestered in the pit for a thousand years is imminent imminent. At least that's what I believe. Remember, it takes God to open blinded eyes. Satan's desire is to blind. How does he do it? He does it by deception and doubt. The earliest recording of this deception and doubt is in Genesis chapter 3. Has God really said that you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Has he really said that? That's doubt. That's doubt. He always wants to put doubt in your minds. Is this thing true? Secondly, he's a deceiver. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Oh, he's a deceiver. He is a liar. Don't listen to him. Now, we have been in the book of Revelation st studying the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bold judgments. We have realized that all of these judgments are the wrath of God being poured out on this world. All of them have a purpose of awakening the earth dwellers who are not worshipers of the true God and having them turn to the true God. We know that the Jewish people have to do two things before Messiah comes back. They have to admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah, and they have to plead for him to return. We also know that this won't happen until the very end of the tribulation period. So we have a, a picture that's going to go up here. It's a campaign of Armageddon. It's Arnold Fruchtenbaum's book, Footsteps of Messiah, and it's going to explain a few things for us. It's rather detailed, but there's eight stages to the campaign of Armageddon. It's not a single battle. 
Actually, there's no battle that takes, takes place at Megiddo or Armageddon. This is a staging area for Antichrist armies. The interesting thing here is as he's staging his armies from all over the world, they're coming here, Babylon is destroyed. Instead of going back to defend his city, this is his city, the Antichrist city, he then turns on the Jews in Jerusalem. He knows his time is short. He wants to kill every Jew possible. The Jews give a stout defense of the city, but yet it falls. And the, most of them are killed. Some of them are taken captive. And then he goes down to Basra, where the remnant has gone. The one-third remnant are in Basra. And in Basra, they hear Antichrist is coming. Antichrist is coming. His hordes, his armies are coming. And they, at this point, will acknowledge their, their sin, repent, and Jesus Messiah will come back and protect them. And the first thing that happens, the Antichrist and the false prophet are killed. And no, they're not killed. They're just thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? Satan will be bound and thrown into the pit. The earth dwellers are killed with the sword that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then Jesus makes his victory ascent up to Jerusalem, goes on the Mount of Olives, and declares, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That's what happens. That's what happens. The deceiver will be dealt with. All deception will be dealt with. Now, last week we talked about the New Jerusalem, this wonderful city that God has prepared for you. Remember, it's this giant cube. And if you would, Maritza, if you put the cube up here, picture of the New Jerusalem. The size of it is impressive, but it doesn't give the whole description. This covers a good part of America. Remember, it's 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500 square miles. Square miles. It has about 600,000 stories that the room in there is adequate to house billions of people with each person having one to two square miles of space. Now this is, you talk about in my father's house are many mansions. I mean, the King James kind of hit that right. I mean, it says rooms really in the original, but we have something awaiting for us. It's, if that isn't more than just a room, then it is one big mama dog room that you're going to be living in. <laughs> Now, how do you get there? You've pledged allegiance to Messiah. You believe that Jesus died for your sins. You received and believed the gift of salvation. And remember, the main attraction of this new Jerusalem, oh, it's not the city in, in the ornateness of the city. It's not its foundations and its stones and its pearly gates and its gold streets and all that sort of thing. It's the presence of the living God will be there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we will commune with our God forever at a level we cannot even imagine. Can you imagine being in the presence of God? In the presence of God. Now, I also want to give you a little picture of just how big this cube is. Will you put the next one up, Maritza? Now, I don't know that you can see this. This is a satellite. This is the exosphere. This cube will go up to where satellites are circulating around the earth. That's how tall your new home is. And remember this, the second you said yes to Jesus, there was a sold sign put on your home. Boom, sold. This belongs to you. Put your name there. Put your name there. And I want to suggest to you this, God is gracious. God is a good God. God is a generous God. God is a loving God. And I can also say this too. I believe that we'll be saying, thank you, Jesus, and wow, Jesus, for, the, for who knows how long. Who knows how long. Remember, it was Jesus who redeemed us. It was Jesus who reconciled us. It was Jesus that made the way for us to go. That wasn't us. It was all a work of him. And we'll be able to enjoy God forever. Now, think about this. We are all going to pass from here one day. We will all have our day when we breathe our last and go into eternity. Now, that's a grieving thing for those who are here. But for the believer that goes, that is their greatest moment. And I want to show you something, and I mentioned it earlier, how important, how precious this is in the sight of God. Remember, you are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. 
You are his bride. You are his family. And it is precious to God. The psalmist says in 116.15, I had the wrong verse the first time. This is an anonymous author, and it comes up on the screen. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious. The word is yakur in Hebrew. Timios in Greek. And it means, both of them are similar. Bright, clear, honorable. And it also says fat. It's the first time you ever see fat being honorable, great, wonderful. Wonder, okay, fat. One time that it's good. Esteem, especially dear. As a family member, we simply cannot comprehend what God has prepared for us. We cannot. Folks, our world is in tumult and we know it. Our world is streaking towards globalism and we see it. Our world is looking for a one world government. It's on the horizon. The time is at hand. The question is, which kingdom will you live in? Which kingdom will you live in? That is the question. Verses 1 through 5. We're going to see a little bit more about our eternal home. And he showed me, the angel showed me, a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. Both on thrones. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was a tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each yielding 12 truths, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse. Let that sink in. No more sin. No more death. No more pain. No more disappointment. No more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants, who do you think that is? Ah, yes. Doulos. Remember? Uh, my will consume with the will of my master. We are servants and we shall serve him. The word is laturo. It means we will volitionally worship him. They shall see his face and oh, his name will be on his forehead. That's intimacy. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light. And in verse 23, in verse 23, we see the Lamb is the light. The Lamb is God. And they shall reign forever and ever. What a sight. Think about this and never forget it. God is a life giver. He is the God of the living. The water of life is a symbol of life. The tree of life is a symbol of life. God is a God of the living, not of the dead. Remember, the original placement of the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. It was there. But, they were, but Adam and Eve sinned. They were restricted from the tree of life. Now the tree of life is in heaven. It'll bear 12 fruits. That is written in the present tense. Keeps bearing, keeps bearing, keeps bearing. You're not just going to get 12 fruits for eternity that are going to be the same. Same apple. Oh, here goes. It's 12 months. Here comes the apples again for a billion years or whatever. No. God is a God of variety. I can just see a, a new thing, new thing, new thing. The leaves are for the healing and prosperity of the nations. The glory of the new Jerusalem is not its ornateness, but it's the presence of God. They shall see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. That is intimacy, folks, at a level we can't imagine. And hear this. We will reign with him. We will reign with our God. It's a benefit of believers. In verse 5. And actually this means we will co-reign with God forever. Now Mormons have taken this mistakenly and thought they're going to be their own God. The problem with that is they're going to receive worship. And we know that only the true God gets worship. No, you're not going to become a God in that sense. But you'll be co-reigning with God. Delegated authority, theocratic authority is what you're going to be having. Now, this is what we were when we were, we were created to be. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. Let that sink in. That is a big deal. We just gloss over those words. This is very significant. In, in the image of God, he created him male and female. Do you catch the two genders? Male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, baruch, blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And then have dominion. Radah is the word. 
Radah means to rule, to reign, to take possession. That's what we were to do. And that's what we will be doing in the future. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing. Mankind was made to rule and reign. That all changed with the fall. But it goes back to that in the eternal order. We will all be ruling over something. I don't know what that is. I can only imagine. Okay? Now... Verses 6 and 7, we know that things are changing quickly in our world. And this angel tells us that things are changing quickly for, for John as he's, he's writing this stuff down. Verse 6 and 7, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Let that word true resonate in your minds for the rest of this talk. Because we are living in a world of lies and falsehoods on a continuum. Let that word truth settle in. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show us his servants the things which must shortly take place. That is true. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he, Markarios, fully satisfied, is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Everything that we have studied in the book of Revelation is true. Now, I'm not saying that I have gotten all this stuff right. There's a lot of symbolism here, but we've done the best we can to rightly divide the Word of God, to give the truth as best we can. The word truth is this. It's althea, and it means unveiled reality, what something really is, something that is actual, not phony, not made up, not what you want it to be. It is what is real and what is truthful. That is truth. So we have to go by that definition. Now, when we're living in a world of lies, and believe me, your media is not telling you the truth. Your government is not telling you the truth. Your employer isn't telling you the truth. There's a lot of venues that are happening in our world today, converging at the same time, that are not telling us the truth. There is a, there's a, a desert... There's a desert for truth in our culture today. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which was a prisoner in a Russian prison camp, who was a 1970 literature Nobel Prize winner, wrote this. One word of truth shall outweigh the whole world, and I might I add, of sin. One word of truth can outweigh the whole world of my edition sin. Oz Guinness says this on truth. He's a Christian apologist and a Christian thinker, and he wrote in this, his book, Time for Truth. He says this, quote, truth matters supremely because in the end, without truth, there is no freedom. Truth, in fact, is not only essential to freedom, it is freedom and the only way to be, to, only way to a free life. Hear me. Marxism stomps out the truth. What you are seeing in our culture today is cancel culture. Cancel the truth. Cancel our history. Now look, we don't have the greatest history in some areas, okay? But we want to not just eliminate that, we want to learn from that and not go back to that. Okay, that's the point. Think about this. Truth is, he goes on to say, truth is truth even if nobody believes it. Falsehood is false, even if everybody believes it. Think about that one. Don't remember, you are being indoctrinated to a worldview that is considerably anti-biblical. You are being indoctrinated. So you want to deal with the truth. And then he goes on to say, that is why truth does not yield to opinion to fashion, to numbers. I don't care how many polls they take and people are saying this lie is the truth. It is not the truth. The truth is what really is. It's not what you make up. We, so we don't yield to opinion, fashion, numbers, office, or sincerity. It is simply true and that's the end of it. The enemy of persistent lies, folks, is the truth. Is the truth. The Christian faith is not true because it works. It works because it is true. Now, has that been clearly stated? Please, there's a, there's a, 
There's a void of truth in our nation now because there's a void of real Christianity in our nation now. Now, some hot button items, truth challenges for today. I just mentioned two of them. The identity challenge and the race challenge. The identity challenge is this. How is, is how God made me or made us, male or female? Race, please hear this. Race is this. We are one race that goes back to Adam and Eve. We are the human race. We are all made in the image of God. God loves us all equally. How do I know that? The Bible tells me, and I'll show you in just a second. Just a second. So there's truth challenges today. Now we have some false identities that are being enforced on us that are saying, you must accept this as the truth. And we cannot because it is not the truth. Watch this. I am a boy, but I identify as a girl. Now that would be false. That would be false, so I can't embrace that. That is not the truth. And by the way, that is not the science. Now you've heard this over and over, the science, the science, the science, and we're following the science. Well, in this one, they've drop-kicked science out of, out of our world, and they've got this fabrication that's going on of what their truth is. Your DNA identifies who you are. It's not about your wishes. It's not about your feelings. It's not even about what someone else says you are. People identify as dogs. People identify as a tree. We have even people identifying as different races. I'm Korean. Today I'm a Korean. I'm just waking up. I'm going to be a Korean today. I'm Afghanistan. I'm an Afghani tomorrow. Now, where is the truth in that? Where is the truth in that? Truth. It is unloving to agree with a false identity. Do you hear that? It is unloving. Now, they say you're unloving because you're not agreeing with it. But the truth is, it is unloving for us to agree with it. Truth. There is one race going back to Adam and Eve, the human race. Truth. It is loving to agree with a true identity that corresponds with the truth. Sin, folks, distorts the truth. And by the way, let me say this again. Am I saying it loud enough? I think I'm, I think I'm yelling. Am I yelling? Uh, <laughs> truth is being hidden today. Look at the college campuses. That used to be a bastion of debate. But what you have now with Marxist in control is, is cancel culture, and we will yell you down because we are afraid of your truth. That's exactly what's happening. They don't want to be challenged with the truth, so these little snowflakes will scream and yell to try to, try to get you to not be able to, 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 to defend your side of the truth, to shut you down. Remember this, everything that we see happening in our culture, point it back to the one that's a divider. Remember the word Satan, the Satan is adversary of God. The devil is a slanderer. He is a divider. Remember this? He comes between God and, and he comes between God and man. He comes between man and man. He wants division. And that's what's happening in our country now. We have things going on that are fostering division and not unity. Not unity. So God is a uniter. The devil is a divider. The truth is this. I am a human made in the image of God, imago Dei of God. And the kid's song is right. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves us all. He loves us all. We are one people. Now, think about this. Think about this. The disciples were prejudiced against the Gentiles. Peter, in particularly, was a prejudiced Jew. And then he was awakened in Acts 10.34 at the house of Cornelius. And then truth hit Peter right between the peepers. And watch what it says here. He says, in truth, in truth, Althea. 
that which is, that which corresponds to reality. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. The Gentiles are the same as you, Peter. Don't be so high on yourself. Look at God is not a face looker. God is a heart looker. Okay, remember that. The truth, the truth. Because I reflect God's image, I have value and I have meaning. God said, because God is these things, so are we. God is creative, communicative, morally responsible, intelligent, relational, spiritual, and eternal, and we are eternal and will live forever either with him or separated from him in what is commonly known as hell. Really, it's the lake of fire. You know that. Truth. Let me say it again. I am an image bearer of the true God. Now, this is important because we are dealing with how are we to deal with the infirmed. Euthanasia will become more and more popular. How are we to deal with the disabled? How are we to, deli- how are we to deal with this? You know, you know the riskiest place for you to be? is a baby in a womb. 60 million have been sacrificed on the altar of abortion. Now look, at that can be a sin that's forgiven. And not, not, we're not going to go down that road of, of condemnation. We all are sinners falling short of the glory of God. But remember, the culture is saying that's okay. That is not okay. We are, we are men, we are women, all shapes, all sizes, all colors. We are one people. There must be an objective standard for truth. Now, when I say objective standard, that is what is. A subjective standard means what I think is truth. Now, what is the verbiage, what is the vernacular that you're hearing today? Oh, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Well, my truth is very different. No, no, no. There's going to be one truth. One truth. Someone who tells the truth. And let me tell you, you're not going to get the truth. Let me give you the list here. I think you know what it is. You're not going to get it from the culture. You're not going to get it from the government. You're certainly not going to get it from the universities. Okay? You're not getting it from Antifa. And you're not getting it from our media today. And I would like to ask this question. Where are the journalists in America? that are going to start asking some hard questions. Where are they? I'm not looking for for clones. God is the standard for truth. The world has has always had trouble with the truth because we're dealing with a triunity of evil. The world, my flesh, your flesh, and the devil wants its way. That's the truth. That triunity of evil wants to rule your life. The kingdom of darkness, which where the majority lives, lives in lies and half-truths. Jesus dealt with this in talking to Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18. Watch what he says dealing with truth. You're familiar with this. I've covered this many times in, in uh, Resurrection Sunday talk. So Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone, watch this statement, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The question is, have you heard the voice of Jesus? Have you listened to the voice of Jesus? Have you responded to the truth of who he is? That is the question. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone, you know what the truth is? Four things. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, 6. In John 14, 17, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He indwells each one that is a believer in the Lord Jesus. You know what is right. You know what is wrong. The Spirit of God is dwelling within you. Your God, it says in 17, 17 of John, thy word is truth. You can count on this as the truth. It's not just my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. Have you ever heard somebody say this? You can make this Bible say anything that you want. Oh, no, you can't. If you follow the hermeneutics precepts, we keep things in context. We allow the Bible to say what it says. And then everyone who hears is of the truth. Hears my voice is of the truth. The angel could not make this point any clearer, crystal clear. 
that we have studied the truth in verse 6. These words are faithful and true. You can count on what this angel and what we have seen in this book as happening as outlined in Scripture. Jesus says the truth. I am coming quickly. Jesus says the truth. Blessed are those who read and hear and keep the words of this book in Revelation 1.3. Blessed, Marcarios, fully satisfied. Which kingdom will you live in? That's the question. Which kingdom are you living in now? Which kingdom are you loyal to now? That's the question. God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom? There's only two kingdoms. And you're following one king or the other. Next thing is this. Be careful what you worship. Verses 8 through 10. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. And then he exclaims, Worship God. And then he said to me, do not, do not seal up the words of this prophecy. What are people doing today? Sealing up the words of the prophecy. He says, do not seal up these words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Watch what he says. Now, hear this loud and clear. All humans are worshipers. Now, you might not think you could have a song in your heart or you don't you can't keep a tune or anything like that worship is way more than our singing it's part of it but it's our whole life our whole dedication to god we will all worship something and if truth be known if truth be known god is way down the list of worship priorities for most christians would you agree just uh, uh, two or three just give me give me one of these yeah just yeah Yes, I agree. I think it is. And this is important. Now hear this. What you worship is what you will ultimately serve. It is what you are ultimately loyal to. I think you can agree with that. John, in a state of amazement, bows before this incredible angel. And the angel sets him straight. Don't do that. I am your fellow servant. Worship God. He's telling John the truth. Worship is defined as this. Watch this. This is from the Zodiades Greek text. To kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. That's affection. When I worship God is an act of affection to my God. Secondly, it means this. To fawn or to crouch or to lie prostrate before the one that you're worshiping. That is paying honor and respect. So what have we seen? It's affection. It's honor and respect. And it's also loyalty, what you direct your life towards. It is describing loyalty to the true God. True worship must be directed to God. No human, no angel, no demonic spirit, nothing. Fallen angels, lower level Elohim, small e Elohim, created angels, okay, who have ruling authority, powers and principalities that we've seen in Daniel chapter 10. Those, those guys want your attention, want your time, want your mind, and want your life. Antichrist will demand to be worshipped or died in Revelation 13.5. Satan's desire was to be worshipped as God. Remember Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. We've been through that one many times. When Satan says, when Lucifer says, I will ascend to the, to the heavens. I will exalt my throne above God. I will be like God. I want to be worshipped. And that's what Satan has always wanted. And hear this. Throughout history, dictators, despotic rulers, politicians, all desired to be worshipped. Politicians, even today, will feign worship to pander to people. And I have the picture here of these folks that are all bowing to worship. Now, this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy. Who are we to bow before? God! God! Not a human being. Not a cause. Not a, it's, we are to bow before our God. It's easy for humans to be swept up in a cause. 
to direct worship inappropriately. Now, hear this. And you tell me if this isn't true. People worship their bodies. How many magazines do you see that really depict how the human body looks? You strip off this outer exterior, all these clothes, you take off all the makeup, and we aren't even near the original of Adam and Eve. We are way down the road. We worship our bodies. We worship money, children, dogs, cats, cars, position, status. And the new worship idol today, within the last 10 to 20 years, video games. And now video games are off the chart worshipped. Off the chart. Recreation, TVs, movies, technology, and the list goes on. And I want to ask you to do, a, do something for me. Do a worship check in your life. Do a little introspection. It's a little self-examination. And think about it. What you spend your time on is what you are really worshiping. People will worship their idol in a second and spend an inordinate amount of time with their idol. What you worship is what you will ultimately serve. Embedded in the word worship is service. Is service. Satan will do anything to distract you, to deceive you, to destroy you. Let that sink in. To keep you hooked on your idol. To help you to rationalize your idol. It's okay. It's no big deal. It's so good to me. It's necessary. I, need, I really need it for my well-being. Look, it's okay to have things that you do. It's okay to have other things in life that you do. But don't make them your priority. Don't make them your priority. God alone is to be worshipped. We have the first three commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. And you shall remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Meet together as people. So there's four. Jesus was crystal clear on this, talking to the Samaritan woman in John 4, 22 through 24. We are to worship God a specific way, in spirit and in truth. Not as we make it up in our minds. Now that means this, how God is revealed in Scripture, not how you make Him up in your mind. The angel says this, worship God, do not seal the words of this prophecy. They go together. They go together. Watch this. Studying prophecy, studying God's word, I believe is an act of worship. It's showing my affection for God. It is paying honor to God. It is showing that I'm serving God. Remember, your Christian life is not just passive. It's an active. It's an active involvement. We are all to be involved in something. Daniel was told to seal the book. It wasn't for his time. John has said, open the book. The book is for you guys at the end time. Know what's coming. Know how to keep watch. Know to have your spiritual antenna on alert. Leave it open. Be ready. Don't be caught off guard. And then those who read and hear and obey these prophecies will be more inclined to worship the true God in spirit and in truth. Folks, the time is at hand. Who will you worship? Who will you serve? That is always the question. You have to do the, deal with that every day. Every day. It's not just, just once in a lifetime. It's every day I have to decide, who am I going to show my loyalty to? Myself or my God or my idol? Now, verse 11, some will heed the prophecies, but most will ignore them. Now, when you're reading this, you wonder how all this connects. Well, this is how it connects. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. The vast majority of the so-called church ignores Bible prophecy. Do you know this? 98% of the churches refuse to teach Bible prophecy, in particular the book of Revelation in any type of death. They'll go through the first three chapters talking about the churches and they stop in chapter 4. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Men say this, 
It's unintelligible language. It's mystic symbols. It's too scary. It's too difficult. It's not for today. God says it's opened. God says it's unsealed. God says it's an understandable book. Christ says this, Blessed is he that hears, reads, and keeps what is written. That word keeps is tarot. It means to keep watch. Keep watch, brethren. Keep watch. Oh, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by what's going on in the culture around you. It's going to be changing. It's going to be changing. Don't get caught up in it. Stay connected. What's the problem? The church in the West in general is more focused on having their best life here and now. That's why you can fill stadiums with health and wealth. You can fill massive structures with this your best life now. And God is here to just give you every little whim that you want because you are just a precious little thing. Well, you are precious in the sight of God, but this is not about you. This is about Him. They ignore the future. This is the Western view. Live for the moment. For the persecuted church, it's quite different. It's quite different. And might I remind you again, that there are more Christians dying today than at any time in the history of the world. And as a matter of fact, the number of people that have died for their faith from the beginning of Christianity to the 20th century are less than those who have given their lives from the 20th century on. Do you know that? We don't know that. We're insulated. We're isolated here. We're protected because we were a Christian nation. Their words are Maranatha. You're living in that. It's a whole different view. It's Maranatha, which means even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come. My focus is on you. This world is not my home. And might I say this? Let this resonate within you. I believe with all of my heart there's a Laodicean spirit that is permeating the Western church. Permeating it. The view of the Western church is be happy and more content. They're happy and content with this world. So why long for another life? For ignorers of unsealed prophecy, which is the majority, which is the majority, the unjust, the filthy, God gives them over and says, okay. Eventually, God will say, okay, your will be done. What a tragedy. What a tragedy when that happens. There's a few, and we call the few a remnant, because I think that's all that's left is a remnant. Keep the words of the prophecy of this book. He says to them, let him be righteous still. Let him be holy still. And might I add, let him be loyal to the true God still. There's simply no neutrality with God. No neutrality. Either embrace him or reject him. A person's choice will fix their future. A time will come when change will be impossible. And God will say, you want to be unjust? You want to be filthy? Okay. And let me just qualify this. You have to go an enormously long way with God for that to happen. Because God will come to you, and he will come to you, and he's a God of second chances, third chances, 15,000 chances, 20. He will keep coming and keep coming and keep pulling and keep drawing. But there will be a time when he says, okay, you can have your way. Present choices will at some point become permanent choices. Hopefully you're making the right choice to serve the living, true God now. Some closing thoughts. Now, the world prior to Jesus' return, he told it what, it what it would be like, as it was in the days of Noah. Why am I saying this? There's a segment of Christianity that believes that we're getting better and better and better. We're going to usher in the kingdom. I mean, wake up and take a look around. This isn't happening. It's not getting better and better. As a matter of fact, the scriptures, Jesus says, like it was in the days of Noah, no one wanting the true God. Business as usual, just ignoring God going about my life. Genesis 6, 5 describes this perfectly. The Lord saw the wickedness of men was great on the earth and that every intent and thoughts of his heart were on evil continually. Now extrapolate from that what's happening today. 
when the culture is being pumped with lies, pumped with lies, pumped with lies, pumped with misinformation, half-truth, evil, continually, all the time. Isaiah gave us a heads up what happens to a culture that's turning away from God. The nation of Israel did this in Isaiah 5.20, calling evil good and good evil. That is what we see today. Abortion, cloaked under the woman's right to choose. They view as good, God views as abhorrent. Gay marriage, transgenderism, lawlessness, godless Marxism. Uh, many, many, many in our culture have embraced this. They say it's good, God says it's evil. Don't be swayed by the majority. It's doubtful that the majority are ever, ever, ever correct. Jesus said in Luke 18, 8, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? As in Noah's day, I believe there's a global turning away. A global turning away from the true God. Now hear this. God is still working. Do you know that the, the fastest growing church in the world today, at least, at least percentage-wise, is in Iran? Do you know the second fastest? I just heard this. Afghanistan. There's a raging church going on in Afghanistan. God is saving these people by dreams and visions, introducing the true Jesus to them, not the phony Jesus that, that Islam has, but the true Jesus, the living God. There's a true church in Indonesia, in China, in Africa, in India. God is still working, folks, but it's quite different in the West. Our modern world simply does not want the God of the Bible. Don't want that one. The God of their imaginations, yes, but the God of the Bible, no. The give me God is still very popular today. And let me add, this is a false God. America has sold out to the gods of this world and are reaping the consequences. You know, there was a slogan given by a politician that you know quite well. Make America great again. Wonderful slogan. No politician can make America great again. I believe that America can be great when America returns to the true God. And that's it. That's it. It is not a politician. A study in the book of Revelation has helped us to realize, folks, change is inevitable. If you don't believe that, look in the mirror. <laughs> change is inevitable. Change is also scary. It's scary what's happening. Change is unwelcome and unnerving to most of us. Change causes people, and many, many Christians do this, cover their eyes, cover their ears, and just pretend everything is going to go back to normal. This happens all the time. All the time. First Chronicles 12.32 says this, The sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The true church, I believe, has understanding of the times to know how the true church should see, act, and judge in this culture. Big difference. The true church and the false church. The technology God is in full control, controlling the minds of the world, not simply nations. This is globalism full speed ahead. And might I, might I add here... I think that the majority of major world leaders are in on the fix. Are in on the fix. Businesses are in on the fix. Media is in on the fix. Universities are in on the fix. Your workplace, believe it or not, unless it's Sean's workplace, they are in on the fix. Our job has, been, our job has mentioned many times we are to watch and to warn. And I want to just shout this from the housetops, if I can shout it any louder, but I won't. Passive Christianity, withdrawn Christianity, safe, safe and absent Christianity is happening in our country today. Christians retreating into the safety of what's best for me right now. You know what people are doing? At my convenience, at my time, I'll listen to who I want so that I'm fed and I'm fed and I'm fed and I can turn them off if I don't like this and turn on something else. It becomes the church of me. The TV church, the radio church, the internet church, they have their place. 
but they are not to replace the church, the local church. There's not a wisp of these people who have withdrawn being involved. There's not a wisp of being in the battle. There's not a wisp of obedience to our Lord. They're going to the church of me, which has been very popular in America today. And God says this loud and clear. You can't miss it in the word. This is absolutely no. Do not, do not, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, that's a command. That's an imperative by the living God. That is, the Hebrew, the, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who is God, tells us this. Our marching orders could not be more clear. Hebrews 10, 25, 22 through 25. First of all, command, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Folks, that's a must for survival today. You must carve out time today to spend with your God. It's not an option. It's not I'm going to put him on the back burner, catch up with him at the end of the week. It's an every, every, every day thing. Secondly, let us hold on swervingly to the hope, the hope we profess. You know what that is? That's a never give up attitude. Never give in attitude. Live not by lies. The hope we profess. Live not by life. Speak the truth. To see, to judge, to act. Remember, acting in, that, in that, that threesome is speaking the truth to the culture around it. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one, root of, one word of truth shall outweigh the world of lies. The enemy of lies is the truth. Without truth, there is no freedom. We are to speak the truth. Hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. And then let us not give up meeting together. Even more as we see the day approaching. Encourage, encourage, encourage one another. We need each other's help. When I start to waver and to flounder and to get messed up thinking, you help me think straight. Be involved. Be involved. To all who hear this talk, the time is at hand. Which kingdom will you live in? Think about it. The kingdom of truth or the kingdom of lies, which has your loyalty? The sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The church, the true church has understanding of the times to know what the true church ought to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to spend in your word. Thank you for this time that you've spoken to each heart here. Thank you that your spirit is our comforter, our guide, our guard, our guide, our guard. Thank you that we are led in the right direction. May we heed what you have said to us today. May we not just be hearers, but doers of the word of God. And Father, right now I ask that you would touch each person's heart here in their area of need. Oh Lord, we are all idolaters. So Lord, whatever my idol is, just take it. I don't want it. Whatever I'm focusing on that has been displeasing to you. It's not that you don't want us to recreate and enjoy life. But our focus must be on you. Not on the stuff around us. Help that be implanted into our beings. And Lord, help us to know how precious it is to be in your family. That precious in the sight of the Lord is the passing of a family member coming home, receiving the welcome of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for these people that desire the meat of the word and not the milk. In Jesus' name, amen.